0: I heard there's a uniform requirement for preaching here, so you know I'm not Mike. I'm Aaron, and uh, but I was told I got to look like this or I can't preach here. So glad you guys are here with me this morning. Uh, yes, I'm new. It's it's great. I'm excited. Today, we're going to be diving into the book of Luke chapter 5, but before we get into that, we are going to go to the beautiful book, one of your favorite books in the Bible, the book of Leviticus, all right? I know it's right up there with Nahum, okay? So go ahead and turn to Leviticus chapter 13. We're going to be starting off our time there, and we will end up in Luke, I promise you about that. But uh, seriously, I started a couple weeks ago, and uh, just uh, up on the screen, I got a couple pictures. The, the first week I was here, I had the privilege of baptizing on Easter. I've been I just totally blessed to do that. Feel so welcomed by this church family. Week two, I was joining Thor as Iron Man uh, at our luncheon to honor the city of Fullerton employees. Uh, week three, I got to play dodgeball with our staff team. And uh, we raised money for Poverty's, which is this homeless ministry in LA, which was so fun. And then week four, I got to serve with so many of you at Love Fullerton, and here's me serving, very faithfully, <laughs> serving. Uh, but seriously, you guys have been unbelievable in welcoming me and my family. Uh, next picture is my wife, Joy, my two beautiful little girls, Autumn, who's five and a half, and little Eden, a little feisty face right there. She's 16 months. Uh, And it's great. You know, I just want to start off by, first of all, thanking the Lord Jesus, because I technically shouldn't even be alive today. You know, when I was three years old, a drunk driver crashed into my bedroom and landed on top of me. My, My father, who was a police officer at the time, bummer for the drunk driver, ran into my room, what used to be my room, and found me underneath this pile of metal, and I couldn't get out. I remember the engine, rotor, or fan, like right above my face. And I thought my face was going to get just chopped off right then and there. And have you guys heard those stories where when adrenaline kicks in, like you could just do these supernatural like feats of strength? So my dad is about five ten, 150 pounds at the time, runs in. He goes to the front of the car and starts to actually lift up. The, that, that didn't really happen. But, um, <laughs> but he tried. God bless him. Uh, firefighters ended up coming, pulling me out. And amazingly, all I had was a bump on my head. My grandfather later said, for whatever reason, God has a plan for this kid. And I, I, I'm just so blessed. I'm so grateful. And I started to really realize as my journey with God started to grow from that point on that, you know what? God not only has a plan for me, he's got a plan for everybody. He wants everybody to know him and know his love and his truth. And so here I am, pastor of new community. I'm so excited to be here. But I know you are ready to dive into Leviticus chapter 13. And uh, what are we doing in Leviticus chapter 13? At this time, the nation of Israel, God's people, is rescued from slavery. And they're going to the promised land. They're camped out at the base of Mount Sinai. And God is giving his orders to Moses on how the nation of Israel is to worship Him, this holy, almighty, all-powerful God, how to actually live in light of his holy presence. And this is a problem because they're unholy, because they're sinful, because they're fallen. And we know that because of Genesis chapter 3. So how is this all going to work? So God is instructing Moses, specifically in the book of Leviticus, on certain rules and sacrifices and rituals And also moral commands for the people of Israel to keep covenant with God so that they could dwell among his presence, his holiness, and become holy themselves so that they might be a blessing to the nations is the ultimate vision. And so this is where we find a lot of these bizarre little purity laws, ceremonial laws that we don't, we look at and we go, what on earth does this mean? And we are going to look at an obscure one right now, but hang with me as I set this thing up before we dive into Luke, okay? So Luke Leviticus, sorry. Leviticus, chapter 13, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin that may be a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of his sons who is a priest. The priest is to examine the sore on the skin, and if the hair in the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be more than skin deep, it is a defiling skin disease. When the priest examines that person, he shall pronounce them ceremonially unclean. If the shiny spot on the skin is white but does not appear to be more than skin deep and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest is to isolate the affected person for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest is to examine them if he sees that the sore is unchanged, has not spread in the skin. He's to isolate them for another seven days. Should we just close in prayer? I mean, right there. Just relevance, right? Leviticus 13. What's going on here? This uncleanness is purity language god is holy and anything that is unholy or impure will be destroyed if it gets close to his presence and so god is instituting these purity laws to communicate something to his people To be ceremonially unclean did not necessarily mean you had sinned morally. It just meant that you had the appearance appearance, or you had partaken or you had been exposed to something that did not reflect the life of God. And so if somebody had this skin disease, they kind of started to look like rotting flesh or they looked like they were a living dead person, i.e. death. And God was communicating that, In him was the way of life. And so these were symbolic things, but they were really important for the people of Israel to stay clean. And if they were unclean, they had a process to go ahead and get clean. So to illustrate this, many years ago before I was married, I had a roommate, and we would play this game together. It was called, Where Is That Smell Coming From? And so we would get home, and we would get in the house. and was like, oh, my gosh, what is that stench? And we would run over and look. And, of course, I'd go to his room first. And then uh, I'd eventually land in the kitchen and open the refrigerator door. And there it is, this Tupperware that has been sitting there for who knows how long with something rotten and disgusting. And what will we do at that point? We'd close the door. Uh, It's like, oh, no, who's going to clean this, right? And so for the next several weeks, we'd be like, I do not want to open that puppy up, but somebody's got to do it. And it would become kind of this little, you know, game we'd play. And somebody would eventually have to open that thing up and clean that thing. But dirt or uncleanness, it's this metaphor for something being out of order, out of place. Garden dirt, good thing in the garden. Dirt in the house affects everybody and makes a mess in the house. What's going on there? It's out of order. And God is creating through this tabernacle and later the temple sacrificial system, this kind of idyllic little world that is communicating how God has always created his people to have life. And to have life required us to understand that way of life. And when we lived outside of God's design, outside of his created order, we would experience symbolically or literally death. So there's a lot going on here in understanding this part of Leviticus. So part of a priest's job was to be a holy mediator between God and the people and the people to God. And so priests were to help people, once they were healed of their skin disease in this case, to become purified. They would go ahead and have them bathe and and, and offer sacrifices and that type of thing to be purified. That's where we get the word sanctify is when the priest would do this for somebody. Isn't this fascinating? I mean, aren't you glad you're here this morning? Okay, so Leviticus, verse 4. Here we are in verse uh, 4 of chapter 13. If the shiny spot on the skin is white but does not appear to be more than skin deep and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest is to isolate the affected person for seven days. On the seventh day, the priest is to examine them. If he sees that the sore is unchanged, has not spread in the skin, he is to isolate another seven days, and on it goes. So the point is, is that when it got to, skip to verse 11. If it's a chronic skin disease, the priest shall pronounce them unclean. And in this case, he's not to isolate them because they're already unclean. But what would happen is this. If this was perpetually a problem, if the person never eventually got cleaned, what would happen is this. Skip to verse 46 of chapter 13. This is what would happen to you. Imagine if you had some sort of a skin disease and it didn't heal up the right way. This is what would happen to you. Verse 45, I'm sorry. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out what? unclean, unclean. Let's try that again. Unclean, unclean. Verse 46, as long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. So this had social and religious implications for you. If you had the skin disease, people looked upon you and said, gosh, this person's unfit. They need to get out of the camp and live outside the camp for who knows how long. They were isolated, not only from their family, from their work, but also from their ability to come to the temple and worship God. Imagine what life was like if you were a leper. You were seen as unclean and unfit for worshiping God. You were kind of like the walking dead, ostracized, isolated. Now, for a lot of us, we look at this and we're like, wait, this is so unfair. The purpose of this was not that God is an elitist God he was saying this is a visual representation of death and I'm about life and so what did he say he said in chapter 14 turn there real quick chapter 14 of Leviticus he said I am a merciful God I desire people to worship me I want them to be restored so when they are healed I'm going to provide a way in which they can be purified and so Leviticus 14, verse 1 and following. The Lord said to Moses, These are the regulations for any diseased person at the time of their ceremonial cleansing when they are brought to the priest. Now, the priest is to go outside the camp and examine them. If they've been healed of their defiling skin disease, the priest shall order that two live, clean birds and some cedarwood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop be brought for the person to be cleansed then the priest shall order that one of the birds be killed over fresh water in a clay pot he's then to take the live bird and dip it together with the cedar wood and scarlet yarn and the hyssop into the blood of the bird that was killed over the fresh water seven times he shall sprinkle the one to be cleansed of the defiling disease and then pronounce them clean after that he's to release the live bird in the open fields and on it goes in later part of Chapter 14, there's sacrifices, there's waiting period. And eventually what's happening is is this person is being restored to proper relationship with God, able to worship in the temple, and also to be able to worship and communicate and hang out with friends and family and neighbors and all that type of stuff. So they were being restored into the community. So, pretty fascinating stuff. Now hang with me here before we leap into the New Testament. Lepers... Fair or not to us, we were seen as untouchables. Because if a leper touched you, then you, his uncleanness infected you. And so lepers had this stigma in an honor and shame culture. They were considered dead. And so even though the, the, the leper may not have considered, con, committed a moral lapse of any kind, they were still considered dead. Morally dead. But God didn't want to exclude his people. He wanted to be able to connect with them and he wanted them to be able to worship again. The problem was that what became a a visual representation of being separated from God got turned into a way in which people could alienate certain people from worshiping God. And to illustrate this, it's kind of like the tradition many years ago where we would talk about putting on our Sunday best. To come to a worship gathering where we put on our Sunday best. We show up, we get our suit and our tie on, we dress to the nines, and we show up. Why? What was the point of that? Well, this tradition had kind of come about because it was kind of like, wait, we're we're going to celebrate who God is together, so we got to come and be our best and show our best. Now, the implications, unfortunately, were this, that those other people who didn't dress up like that started to kind of get be frowned upon and, and kind of say, well, you're not really, you don't have it all together here. There was this implied standard like you have to have it all together when you come and you worship God. You see how this kind of started to kind of infiltrate even our own American church culture. So what was once visual theology to help people understand the difference between death, separation from God, and life being ceremonial clean and being able to worship God, it got used to alienate people. And so the religious elite of Jesus' day started to have this self-righteousness, this sense of piety, of looking down upon people. Lepers began considered to be untouchable. You're an outcast. You're one of those people. You can never, ever have access to God. You've got to get everything figured out before you can approach him. And aren't you glad so much has changed since then, right? So much has changed. We don't have this problem at all, right? We don't label people as untouchable. We don't label people as they'll never find God. They'll never have access to God. We don't do that today, do we? You know, one of the saddest things about being a pastor for me is actually when people find out that I'm a pastor. It's such a bummer because I'm building a relationship, I'm hanging out with people, and then I, they find, oh, you're a pastor. And suddenly their demeanor changes, and what do they say to me? I haven't been to church in a long time. <laughs> you know, my last confession was 20 years ago. You know, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not keeping attendance. I, I, what do you, but what's the implication? What's been communicated to them? They feel like they've got to get their act together, they've got to get their marriage figured out, they, they've got to somehow get themselves right before they can show up on a Sunday morning to a building. The church is not a building but they perceive that there's this block that they are somehow labeled and they're a sinner and they're not welcome. And yet what we discover as we look at Jesus is that every single one of us is actually a spiritual leper. All of us are separated from God. And Jesus breaks through that barrier. So let's turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 12. Luke has just told us the story of Jesus and the calling of Peter right before this. Luke is showing us that Jesus coming along and announcing that the kingdom of God is here, it's upon people to repent, and it's through him. He's just demonstrated that Peter, who's just this normal fisherman guy, who's not a religious superstar, actually has access to the kingdom of God because he's humble enough to recognize that he's unworthy. And God says, you are just the type of person I'm looking for. But what is Jesus going to do when he encounters the social outcast? When he encounters the person that the religious elite say, "Ah, no, no, this person's an untouchable. How does Jesus respond to this person? In verse 12, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along, who was covered with leprosy. Now, what's he supposed to do as he's coming along and he sees people? What's he supposed to do? Unclean. I'm unclean, right? He's supposed to be yelling this. And imagine if you were one of the people, a part of this community, that actually knew that leper. Maybe you grew up with him and you saw him and he's back. And you're like, oh, there he is. Wait a minute. He's not. He's violating the law. He's not crying out unclean and unclean. Look at him. What's he doing here? What's he doing here? He's violating the rules. And how does Jesus respond to this man? When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and he begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. This leper is so desperate. He is so sick of the way his life's going. He's recognizing, I don't have the power to go ahead and get my life all figured out. I can't heal myself. And I see this Jesus. I'm not sure if he's God or the Messiah or not or whatever, but I know there's something about him that's special, so I'm going to call him Lord. And you know what? I don't just think he possibly can heal me. I know he can heal me. It's an issue of, if, if, is he willing to heal, heal me? I know he can. He can make me clean. He can heal me. And what does Jesus do? Verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and he touches the man. He touches the man. He says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus touches him. You guys remember this picture that was surfacing around the internet of the Pope kissing this man with this horrible disease. You know, and, and, and we just kind of go, ah. We look at that and we kind of freak out a little bit. Imagine what this was like for anybody watching this whole interaction go with Jesus. It's been very similar. What? Wait a minute. This unclean guy is going to get you unclean, Jesus. Jesus says no. Why? Because Jesus' clean trumps his unclean. Jesus is so holy. And pure, he's contagious for those who humble themselves and say, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And notice in verse 14, Jesus isn't just interested in healing him. He wants him fully restored in community. He wants him to get his family back, his his community relationships back. He wants him to be reinstated into the life Rhythm of the community. It's not just an individual thing. It's a communal thing too. Notice what he says here. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest. Offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. Jesus wanted this healing to be verified from the local priest. Why? Jesus didn't need to do that. He didn't need to do that. But he wanted this man to go through the proper channels in order to be restored. He cares, not just about our individual relationship with him. He cares about restoring our relationships with the people around us. And notice that word spread about Jesus. Obviously, the leper started telling everybody, what had happened to him? And Jesus was just saying, hey, you know what? There's going to be a lot of crowds. It's going to be a lot of chaos. And I'm definitely going to heal some people. But I've got a mission in mind. And my father, who I'm communicating with regularly, which is why I'm extracting myself to pray, is leading me to where my mission is going. So how awesome is Jesus here? What's he saying? What's he doing here? In light of what we spent time in Leviticus about, what's Jesus doing here Jesus is doing what only God and the temple or tabernacle system and the priestly functions could do and where is he doing it away from the temple away from the priests he's embodying that out in the countryside God's on the move through the ministry and the message of Jesus. Touching people wherever they are found and willing to be healed. This is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is also subverting the cultural cues for what makes someone come back to life with God. Out of death. Jesus is saying it comes through confession of faith in me is not all these rituals and all these rules and regulations that you need to hop through. It's just confession of faith in me. That's it. To receive this gift that I want to give to all of you who are spiritual lepers. All of you who are defiled. All of you that are untouchable. And as I was thinking about this, I'm like, well, who's the unclean today? Who's he talking about? In Mark chapter 7. He kind of walks through this whole thing. He says, you know what defiles somebody, what makes them unclean, is not what happens on the outside, it's what's going on on the inside. It's our hearts. Our hearts need to be healed. We need to reprioritize, reorder our life around the one true Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one that makes us clean. His clean trumps our unclean. How does he do this and what does he expect of us today? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. How this happened? How's Jesus' clean trumped our unclean? The apostle Paul writes about this to the church in Corinth, and he says this. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come spiritual leprosy gone new life new creation the old is gone the new is here all this is from god who reconciled us to himself through christ and gave us the church the ministry of reconciliation that god was reconciling the world to himself in christ not counting people's sins against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation We're therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And notice this in verse 21 God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. It's huge. Jesus is clean, trumps our unclean. And he does it on the cross. He stands in our place. He's the temple, he's the high priest, he's the sacrifice. He's the whole kit and caboodle. He's everything. Jesus steps into our isolation due to our sin. He steps into our shame because of our sin. And he says, I'm willing, to be clean so what does this mean for us brothers and sisters visiting friends what does that mean for us i've got two questions question number one are we people who need to be touched by jesus are we people who need to have that healing touch upon him us today you know some of us are in here are sitting under the weight of darkness And and some of us, we're we're new to this whole Jesus thing. We didn't even realize this about Jesus. And we're just here because somebody dragged us here. And we realize, oh my gosh, all these years I've thought I've had to do all this stuff. And it's not what I do. It's who I know. This is unbelievable. And for some of you, you felt labeled by Christians. You felt judged by Christians. You felt condemned by Christians. And if that's you, I'm so sorry because Jesus says no. Oh man, I want to touch you and make you clean today. And if that's you, if there's some of you who are like, I'm tired of trying to put my life together on my own. I'm tired of carrying out this, this weight of my past, my mistakes. I'm tired of trying to fix my marriage by myself and try to kind of do my job by myself. I'm tired of, of trying to order my life around what I think is best. I'm tired of it. Then th- th- today is for you. It's good news. Jesus wants to heal you and heal me. And for a lot of us, I, I know for me, we play this game with God. For some of us who've been walking with Jesus for quite some time, we, we know this intellectually. But what happens is, is even when we kind of still make mistakes and blow it, we still kind of beat ourselves up. We kind of take the whip out and go, oh, yeah. And then we wait. And then it's like, okay, finally, okay, now I can come back to Jesus. And God just sitting there like, what? No, turn back to me. That's all you need to do if you confess your sins I'm faithful and just. And we'll purify you from all unrighteousness. I'll do it. Come back to me. You know, it's even it's so embarrassing when I think about it, but when I was first married, Joy and I got in this huge argument, and we were driving somewhere, and I, I literally became unhinged. I was so angry. I couldn't believe how fired up I was. I know none of you can relate to that. And so I was driving, and I kind of started to get really, and I turned into like Mario Andretti, has anyone ever done none of you? Yeah. Well, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And my wife is like, her eyes are getting real big. She's going, oh, my gosh, we are going to die. Aaron, what are you doing? And I am supposedly this pastor who's got it all together, right? You know, when you're single, you think you're all good, and then you get married and you go, oh, wow. Wow. And this was one of those moments, and I was ashamed, and later I, had to, I said, honey, I'm so, so sorry. I was just ashamed, and I had to come to God and go, God, I'm sorry. God is saying, I know, you need to process, you're in process, but boy, positionally in Christ I've made you clean, so just continue to grow and learn what it means to live in light of that forgiveness and that truth and that love. Question number two, are we people who touch the untouchable? Are we people who touch the untouchable? There are people in our lives that God is saying, I want you to touch them with my love and my kindness, but we're so afraid of somehow saying, if I get close to you, uh, I might get unclean. And I've got, I've got a story about this myself, you know. Uh, when I was growing up and starting in the ministry about 15 years ago, I, re- I was dating a gal before I got married, and she was having a birthday party that her coworkers were putting on, and they decided to have it in a bar. Now, I look back now and I kind of laugh, but at the time, this was scandalous. It's like, oh, I mean, you're asking us to have a birthday party in Sodom and Gomorrah? What are you doing? You know, I mean, this is, how embarrassing is that? So I I was freaking out about it. thinking, am I going to get seen by my lead pastor? Am I going to get fired or whatever? So I finally said, God, just whatever you want. I'm going to follow you, just whatever. So I show up to this thing, and it's a bar scene, you know, whatever. And I I don't know if they had a fog machine or something, but there's kind of like smoke. There's alcohol. There's women dressed very provocatively. And and I'm sitting there, and I've got, I said, you know, at least I'm going to wear my WWJD shirt. I didn't, I didn't do that, but I, I was like, oh my gosh. So I'm sitting there and I have my root beer and I'm like, oh gosh. And so this guy next to me starts talking to me and he goes, wait a minute, you're a pastor. I go, oh man, yeah, yeah, hi, how you doing? We start getting into this conversation and I'm totally blown away. This guy totally does not believe in God, fell away from the faith, got all these questions for me. We start talking about the historicity of of the Bible and John, and we're talking about spiritual things. And I'm finding this guy, he's pretty encouraged by this conversation. And I'm going, you've got to be kidding me, God, you're using me in a place like this. This is crazy. And so I left there on this like spiritual high of like, God, or maybe there's something else in the air. But uh, I was like so excited about, God, you used me in this place. And God just continued to be teaching me and say, hey, I'm looking for people because I'm already at work with those who you think are untouchable, when in reality, everyone's fallen short. Everyone's separated from me. Even you are separated from me, but it's just by my grace. I, I'm looking for people. I'm looking for people. Another time, many years later, we were launching a, a new campus for our church. And we were in an elementary school, and uh, it was in between Easter services, and I was there as the pastor of it, and this girl walks up, and she's looking around at her in what used to be her elementary school, and she's like, what is going on here? And I was like, oh, we kind of turned it into a worship gathering place for our church. And, hey, you should come on in. Check it out. So we're walking around. She's showing me the different classrooms that she was in. We're telling stories. And I go, where are you from? She's like, well, I'm from here. And then I I go to school up in San Francisco. And I go, oh, that's cool. And then God just kind of like kicks me in the head and says, talk to her about me. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And I say, "Uh, by the way, do you know what this is all about? And she goes, not really. And I said, well, let me walk you through The, the whole purpose of the church. What is this about? Is this Jesus? And, and, and God created us good, and, and yet we're, we're, we're fallen, we're broken, and, and this is how it works. And then He sends Jesus to save us because He wants us to have life with Him and, and enjoy a relationship with God. And can you see the world really needs this? That the world is in all this kind of sadness and brokenness? And she's like, Yeah. And I go, Gosh, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to go ahead and have a relationship with God? And she goes, Well, I'm gay, I'm Jewish. And there was a part of me that just said, so what's the big deal? You think that is too big for this God? You think that is too high of a barrier for Jesus to touch you? I said, is that all? She's like, yeah. I go, is there any other reason? She goes, no, I guess not. I go, would you like to pray? And invite Jesus to come into your life, forgive you, and have a relationship with God? She's like, I guess so. <laughs> Let's do it. I led her in a prayer. Gave her a Bible. Tried to connect her to a church up in San Francisco. Now, I get it. I get it. It's like, wait a minute. It's like, I get it. But I'm going to leave that to Jesus. I'm just here to just touch the untouchables, right? I'm just here to just share the wonderful news that Jesus has touched me. He can touch you too. And for some of us in here, we've got neighbors, we've got coworkers, we've got friends, we've got family members. We've written off. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I haven't written them off. I want you to touch the untouchables. Why? Because my clean trumps the unclean. That's who I am. And so for some of us in here, we need to be touched by the healing power of Jesus. For some of us in here, Jesus is saying to you, I want you to start touching people with my healing power and my love. And so wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, I just want to invite you to pray with me and ask God to just speak to you, to heal you, to comfort you, to forgive you, to restore you, and give you the courage and the boldness to be the kind of church that isn't about perfection, but it's about restoration. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I am overwhelmed at my uncleanness. And I pray that you would forgive me and forgive us who find ourselves judgmental and self-righteous when in reality we're all spiritual lepers we've all fallen short and yet you continue to remind us oh i love you i care about you so much there are people here in this room right now you are carrying weight and jesus says i want to make you clean all you need to ask is say jesus would you forgive me would you restore me would you help me to walk in your ways and your truth and your love? For others of us in here, Lord Jesus, you have specific names. I pray that you would bring those names to mind of people in our life that you want us to join you in touching with your healing power and love. And for some of us in here, Lord, this is all new. And if you're new and you want Jesus, For the very first time, all you need to do is pray simply in your heart, Jesus Christ, please forgive me of my sin. Jesus Christ, you are the Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ, I want you to come into my life. Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Lord Jesus, help me to walk in your ways. And if that's you, if you just pray in your heart, I want you to go after the service and go talk to somebody at the connection table and let them know what you've done. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your love in Jesus' name, amen.